So the subject today is managing stress. Uh, the full title of this session is managing stress in the workplace. But as you'll see, as we go through this, there are opportunities for really understanding this concept of the word stress in every facet of our kind of living and uh, working lives. So it will apply to you know, a whole variety and different kind of range of uh, moments and situations uh, that all of us will encounter in our life. But we're going to focus in particularly on the idea of managing stress in the workplace, both as a, uh, a line manager, both as an employer, uh, but also obviously as uh, somebody who is maybe the recipient of a stress reaction. So I'm going to go through kind of some of the things that we can do to mitigate uh, the concept of stress in our working lives. So the objectives of this session um, are to basically identify and understand really what the concept and causes of stress at work are. Um, and by doing that, obviously, we need to uh, begin <laughs> probably with a, um, a definition of stress and actually really understand what stress is and how it can impact on any and all of us uh, to a greater or lesser extent. We're going to learn how stress will manifest potentially in the workplace and of course some of the things by learning how it manifests, some of the things we can do to help it to um, really ease if you like um, in our everyday uh, work life. Uh, we're going to understand some of the impacts of workplace stress on the organization. Um, and this, this is really, really important one because it will be something that um, potentially has a profound impact on how the organization um, operates and how it performs. So there's a lot of um, potential impacts here that we need to really understand and work with. And then, of course, really importantly, um, particularly for those of us who are, you know, um, sort of recipients of a stress reaction um, and maybe feeling anxious, etc. cetera, uh, we'll look at some of the strategies that we can use to both reduce, but also manage a stress reaction. And as I say, both at work, but also in our everyday lives. So let's just begin really with the concept of stress and really, really how this kind of comes about and actually what it is. Well, the good news, and this really is good news, is that stress is a normal physiological response. OK, so it isn't a situation. It isn't a job. It isn't a another person. Um, it is our physiological response to a situation, and it is completely and utterly normal. Um, some people would call this um, probably an extreme version of the fight or flight response, which is an innate thing that human beings experience. Um, but of course, when, <coughs> excuse me, uh, but when it becomes chronic, Obviously, it can have significant health and well-being impacts, and we know that um, it can be um, something that um, we find ourselves experiencing in certain situations, certain scenarios, maybe with certain people, uh, maybe when you know we're really pushed, taken to our physical or emotional or intellectual limits, we can potentially feel a stress response coming on. But it isn't the thing, it isn't the situation, it isn't the context. When people say, Oh, you know, he or she's got a, uh, a stressful job. They've got a job, but how they react to it and how their body and their, uh, their mind and their emotions react to it is a stress response. So it isn't the actual uh, thing itself. It's the response to that thing. Because, of course, we know that some individuals will not find a particular situation stressful, but others will. So it's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It is a reaction physiologically to a scenario or situation. Now, of course, when you can manage it, it's not really stressful or it can actually be put with the adrenaline rush and the cortisone, cortisone levels, you know, sort of increasing. You can actually use it to your advantage and particularly a um, sports person, for example, can actually if they can channel that stress response, they can use that to good effect. Um, particularly in short bursts, it can be used, you know, in a really productive way to really energize and really awaken yourself. But it's when it becomes chronic, in other words, it's maintained over time, that we start to see 
health impacts we start to see emotional impacts we start to see feelings you know of prolonged anxiety and uh, reduced well-being and that's really what i think most people would identify with this word stress so it is often um, it comes with a lot of baggage and i think because it is very very widely used as this kind of catch-all negative scenario it's like a stressful job oh yes that person is um, really in a stressful um relationship well it's their response to that relationship all that scenario all that job that we're talking about here but we've kind of muddied the waters so to speak and so we use stress as a as a really kind of negative kind of word but it doesn't have to be so it's something that we're going to explore as we go through this session um, is the fact that it is the situation that is triggering your physiological response and we'll see some of the reasons for that as we go um, and of course something that's really really key and particularly when we're coaching others managing others is always to be on the side on, on the lookout for signs of this physiological response now you might see this in your, with your colleagues you know and you just sense that something isn't quite right um so it could be that you know they're smiling and they're kind of performing well on the surface but actually underneath they're having a physiological response to something, could be a person, situation, could be you know problems or worries about a, a certain um, situation or potential outcome, but it's well masked. And often people who are responding in a stressful way internally uh, don't necessarily show it. So this is a this is a very very broad spectrum of a definition, but it is also something that you know doesn't necessarily manifest on the surface. So what we're going to be doing as we go through this is to really understand both the causes but also what you can do to take a little bit more control, if you like, if you're the kind of person who finds yourself um, reacting in a, a sort of a stressful way uh, to certain scenarios. So what might these scenarios be? Well, there's, as, as you probably would imagine, there's a huge amount of um, evidence and research. Um, this is one of the most heavily researched um, areas uh, in the workplace right now. Um, and I'm going to really be sort of quoting some examples here from the American Institute of Stress and also the Mayo Clinic in the States. And they've done a lot of work on the causes of stress in the workplace. Now, as we go through these, what we'll find is that if you sort of consider the flip side, then some of these things open up an opportunity for you to really understand how you could use these things to manage the situation or the scenario. Um, because again, if you are responsible for others, or if you're driving the strategy, or maybe the um, the sort of the form, if you like, of your organization, there are some things in here which you could use to reduce the potential stressful impact of the organization or the team or the department that you have, um, or even down to individual relationships. <coughs> excuse me again. Um, so the first thing that they've identified is that high workloads, so excessive workloads, um, can cause stress in the workplace. So very, very tight deadlines, long hours. And of course, for, for many people, this can be particularly challenging when the, <coughs> excuse me, stress response here by the signs of things. Um, but particularly when um, the um, employee feels that they have very little control over the work or its outcomes. They can feel subservient to the situation and that can cause stre a stress reaction. OK, so it isn't necessarily, um, you know, the same for everybody. So you cannot say that an excessive workload is stressful because it's the stress response that comes from some people to that excessive workload that is the stress. So again, for some people, they thrive on excessive workload. They get a buzz from it. Not all of us do, but some people do. Tight deadlines, that can work for some, but not for others. So it's being very mindful over the appropriate level of workload. Um, job insecurity, of course, is, is one of those big things, and particularly when we've got an economic challenge, if you like. Um, so downturn, uh, there might be some sort of organization restructure that's going on, and employees may feel very uncertain about the future of their own particular jobs. And of course, this uncertainty itself can be a very significant source of a stress response. And again, it's the unknown and it's the lack of control.
Now, as we go through some of these uh, these observations from these this research, what we're going to see is that there are some patterns here. So we're seeing lack of control here coming through on those first two um, examples. And that is going to be interesting a little bit deeper into this. Uh, poor management. Now, clearly, if you have a uh, an employer or a line manager who has poor communication skills, they, they don't give high levels of support or feedback or even treat their employees unfairly. Um, so poor leadership in itself can create a stressful or stress-evoking um, work environment. So thinking about the alternative to that is clearly good communication good levels of support or feedback, fair treatment and, and good leadership, obviously are the flip sides to the poor working uh, relationship sort of uh, scenario there. And so good management clearly is going to give you the flip side. Um, Work-life balance, difficulties balancing the demands of work and personal life can contribute to a stressful reaction. Um, and obviously, as we would imagine, you know, particularly challenging for those who um, are caregivers or those uh, working from home who may well feel that they need, because of their particular uh, sort of life uh, scenario, life situation, they need to be working either hybrid or working remotely. And this in itself, due to um, feelings of feeling potentially a little bit away from you know, their colleagues who may well be either they perceive talking about them or maybe getting an advantage because they're hearing things or seeing things that because you work remotely, you don't see that in itself, you know, this kind of distancing, if you like, um, that in itself can cause the stress reaction. Um, ambiguity of your role. So again, lack of clarity about how your role, so your job description, the responsibilities that you have. But I would say as well, particularly the expectations over you and your role can potentially cause you to feel a stress reaction coming through. So it isn't actually the role itself. It's not actually the responsibilities. They are just what they are. It's your potential reaction to these things that are going to cause you to potentially feel stressed. So ambiguity, lack of management, lack of leadership. Again, can you see some things coming through here? It's about communication and clarity and being really kind of authentic and open and honest and true in communication. If you do that, which is the flip side of this, then you're very, very less likely to see a stress reaction. And a lot of this really is, is common sense, but we kind of fall into these traps often. The list goes on. These are quite profound things that are kind of setting the scene for what we need to cover here. Um, lack of control. So an employee may feel a stress reaction when they have little or no control over their work processes, workloads or schedules. Now, of course, if you feel that you're always subservient to other people's agendas, other people's diaries, you can be called on at a moment's notice to do something when you're already stacked up doing other things. Again, stress reaction comes because of the lack of control. So there'll be ways we can mitigate and reduce that a little bit later. Um, clearly things like poor working conditions. And again, um, we often think of um, poor working conditions as being in a you know, busy, hectic office that's noisy, lacking in privacy with poor lighting, uncomfortable temperatures, you know, outdated or malfunctioning equipment, et cetera, et cetera. But it can also be poor working conditions at home. So you know, for a lot of us now working remotely or working in a hybrid sense, we don't necessarily have the optimum working conditions at home. It might be that you're getting interrupted by a partner or a child or you know noisy neighbors there are many many things that can contribute to this so even though it seems like a great place and a great thing to do things like this can be cumulative so they can start to build over time so good working conditions you know a high level of control over your schedule over your processes and your workload gives you a sense of you know well-being in in a work sense and will reduce the stress reaction now, a clear one here, workplace conflict, conflicts with colleagues or supervisors can potentially, and we always have to say potentially, create a hostile work environment and contribute to a stress reaction. 
but not necessarily. And this is the, the beauty, but also the challenge of, of a stress uh, scenario or a stress um, reaction is that everybody is different. So we're not here to judge and say, oh, if you don't feel stressful, you're a, you're a better person. It's, that's not how this works. We all have our own individual physiological response to certain combinations and this is another key thing here. It's the combination of factors, not just these individual factors, which lead to our own response to these situations. For some of us, lack of career progression, you know, where you may feel stressed if you see no clear career progression or you feel stuck in a rut. So stuck in your current position with no kind of way of getting out of it. Again, it's the control thing. Harassment or discrimination, you know, fearing Potentially, this is fearing it rather than necessarily actually experiencing it. But you could experience discrimination at work. And this can be a significant source of stress. You know, discrimination and harassment based on factors such as age, race, gender or disability. You know, a very, very hot topic uh, in HR circles right now for all the right reasons. You know, this is one area that um, is is very prevalent. And we, we see this in the media all the time um, in a whole range of different sectors, both public um, and private. And it's a really, really important subject because it's a key trigger, uh, and not only in the short term, but to a long term feeling of being stressed. And it is something that we all need to be addressing with our colleagues, with people who report to us and the people that we report to. But the key here, the key that comes through from this research is that it's not the individual, <coughs> excuse me, it's not the individual elements here, um, you know, because some of us are going to be more or less uh, sensitive to some of these factors, but it's often the combination of issues that lead to significant workplace stress reaction. In other words, you don't have a feeling of control. You're not working in a great environment. The culture isn't really supporting your working style. You're not feeling supported. You're not really feeling respected and valued. And if all of these things start to feel outside of your control, then there's really no wonder that physiologically you are going to start to react. And of course, as we say, if that's sustained or maintained over a long period of time, it potentially is very bad news. So there are some really, really significant papers and research, as I said earlier, um, on the impact of stress on individuals and organisations, because the impact often of stress is kind of identified at an individual level. Um, and Harvard have done uh, a lot of work uh, on this in Harvard Health Publishing, for example, 2020, there was a big piece of research done on the health impacts of chronic stress. And that is very much on the individual. But they um, sort of that was following um, the organizational impacts of stress, um, which was the Harvard Business Review um, report of 2019, which said there are basically three big, big impacts on business. So whilst we look at this, and we will continue to look at this in this session on the level of the individual because it's things that we as individuals can do to mitigate and reduce this both in ourselves but also an understanding of those who around us might be feeling the stress response the organizational impact if you then multiply this up across the number of individuals who are also feeling the stress response can have a significant and profound impact on the business's productivity on overall morale of all, you know, also turnover of staff. So it's not turnover necessarily in a sales sense, but in terms of the real culture and the kind of the nature of the interactions of people in the organization can be profoundly impacted. So, you know, when we talk about a healthy business, we are not just talking here about, you know, healthy sales, you know, good innovation products and services coming through the pipeline. We're also talking here about people working in a very balanced, nurturing, valued, sensible kind of environment where stress isn't completely eliminated. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to feel a stress reaction, as we've talked about before, but that it's well managed, it's understood. And that kind of level of awareness, both at an individual level, but also at a, uh, an organization or a team level even, you know, is really well understood. So people are just conscious of it, very mindful of it. And the word mindful is something that we're going to 
explore and talk about in just a moment. So it is quite profound. And what we're looking to do here is really understand at this point, if we kind of identify those as some of the areas where, you know, a stress reaction might be provoked um, or it could be built over time. Um, what we need to understand are some personal strategies that individuals, but also those supporting others can begin to look at. So I'm going to draw from a, a study by the Mayo Clinic in the States um, back in 2020. Um, they found three personal strategies that can really, really help and start to mitigate the stress response when it's not appropriate, when it is not serving the individual or the organization. And they divided down the advice and guidance into three clear bands. This is self-care, mindfulness and time management. Okay, and if you think about just before we explore those in a, a deeper sense, if you just think about those three areas, you know, if you find yourself in a scenario feeling the stress reaction, your heart rate goes up, your breathing starts to get shorter, your brain starts to get a little bit foggier, you can't necessarily make those clear, lucid decisions that you normally can. That is the stress response. So if you imagine yourself being able to sort of exhibit and maybe sort of enjoy a little bit more self-care. Maybe you could find yourself using some mindfulness techniques when you feel that that is beginning to cut in. And then you get this concept of managing time. And I'm not talking necessarily just about prioritizing your time, but actually being in the moment in that stress response. Then you can start just logically, can't you? You can start to take control. And if you remember, control was one of those things that was identified through the earlier research as being the thing that is probably one of the core themes that goes across all of this, taking self-control, you know, self if you like, of the moment. So we're going to do some, some deeper dives into this because this is really, really important stuff. So we're going to go into each of these three areas and find out what were you either individually, if this applies to you, or you on behalf of others, if you're coaching anyone else, can start to introduce as, as ways of thinking. Now, you can't tell somebody, get a grip of yourself, you know, stop being stressed. You know, it just doesn't work like that. If it was that easy, there would stress wouldn't, a stress response wouldn't exist. So this is all about just being mindful, going within and thinking, okay, if we all respond like this, and we do, because it's a natural, totally expected physiological response to a scenario, then, okay, if I'm becoming a little bit more self-aware, what can I do about it? So that's what we're doing here. We're just literally going inwards. We're starting to introspect around this kind of stuff and see where it can take us to give us some tools, to give us some approaches and techniques that the next time this might then manifest for us in a particular scenario, we've got some choices that we can have to give us back that control. So the first one then is self-care. Now, this refers to activities that individuals do to take care of their mental, emotional and physical health. Okay, now these will vary completely. And now what works for you isn't necessarily going to work for me and vice versa. But there are some common practices which, according to Mayo Clinic, are the ones that we could begin to think about before. Okay, so the first one is physical self-care. Um, now, it probably doesn't come with any surprise here that regular exercise can help reduce stress levels and improve mood. So if you are, for example, revising for your exams, you know, to take a walk or go for a run around the park, clearly then will reduce the level of stress and will give you that extra kind of boost of, of refocusing on what you're doing. And almost certainly will improve mood. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the biology um, of this, but it just does. It just simply works. And this can be anything when you talk about regular exercise from yoga to running or simply taking a walk. Any kind of movement, physical exertion is really, really important. Um, and a balanced diet and sufficient sleep, and there's loads of studies around the, uh, the value of sleep, are also really crucial. So when we think about regular exercise, what we're doing is we're balancing that exercise with an equal and opposite appropriate amount of rest as well. And of course, then the diet. So the diet needs to balance again with the amount of calories that go in, need to be the amount of calories that um, 
will be um, sort of uh, used in this exercise. So if you're doing significant physical exercise as part of this uh, self-care, you clearly need to balance, obviously, your calorific intake as well. But again, just starting to think about, okay, so I'm not doing enough of that right now, or if I need to take a walk, you know, in a particularly... Um, sort of busy period of time at work, uh, because otherwise I am going to feel a little bit more stressed. It's just a nice calming and balancing opportunity for you. So again, just a very simple thing that you can do to begin this. <coughs> so on the mental and emotional self-care, this is probably about engaging in hobbies or activities that you enjoy and that help you relax. Now, I know we're talking here quite a lot about you know, workplace, um, but again, within the workplace, are there things that you can do within your daily schedule of work and activities that you know you enjoy and actually they are more relaxing? So when you have particular tasks or projects or campaigns or activities or particular styles of meeting, that maybe start to you know increase your stress response. It's about scheduling in around those things, activities that you enjoy and can help you relax. Um, and even if you sort of think, well, I can't really do that because all of my activities are controlled by somebody else or part of a process or a system, so I don't really get the choice in there, then it could involve things like journaling, to process your thoughts and emotions, or maybe speaking to a colleague, maybe just offloading and downloading, uh, not to draw them into the stress response, but just to kind of make sense of it, just to understand it. And for a lot of people, you know, journaling and or sharing can be a really, really key way of really getting a, a sort of a deeper level of understanding of self you know, and by talking it through and by narrating that story, often we can find ourselves thinking, oh, hold on a minute. I think I've just identified why I react in that way at that moment. So, yeah, just sharing it both internally with yourself, but also with others can really help that kind of mental and emotional balance, if you like, that often just goes completely out of kilter, out of sync, you know, when we get the stress response. Another thing we can do, actually, again, this really does apply uh, to the workplace as well, is social self-care. So connection with others. So friends, family, support groups, uh, maybe a friendly colleague uh, you know and can trust uh, can help you feel understood and supported. Always really just sharing of experience and feelings so that it can kind of um, help to lighten the burden of the stress response, because a lot of the time the stress response will bring us down. It will make us feel heavier. It will make us feel burdened. I mean, that is just the word. Um, and of course, then sharing with others, again, not offloading so that they this other person takes it on, but just you know, just lightening the load by sharing um, and that connection with others, even if you're um, a profound introvert, can often help. OK, so that just that sharing, caring kind of environment. And it doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be hours upon hours. Just a little connection, either through social on the phone, face to face, through a video call, if you're working remotely from the person uh, that you want to share with, you know, any of that helps. And it is about just kind of thinking of self to a point, but obviously it doesn't need to be a monologue. You know, if you want to take guidance and advice from the other person, then that can also be really, really positive, uh, depending on obviously on the level of trust uh, and uh, the relationship that you have. But just feeling understood, just being able to share the experience can often just lighten that load just for a moment. So that kind of sets up the sort of the self-care. But then when you want to take things to the next level, I'm going to introduce here the word mindfulness. Now, this word has a lot of baggage for a lot of people. It's like, oh, I'm not going to meditate. I haven't got time for that. I'm too busy for that. And of course, that often is the reason why it probably is the right thing that you should need to be doing. But basically, at a very, very simple level, mindfulness, when it applies to managing the stress response, involves simply paying full attention to the present moment without judgment. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. Paying full attention to the present moment without judgment. Now, a really interesting thing is when you think about that definition of mindfulness, if you are in the moment, so right here, right now, you're not thinking about the future, what might happen, what you're going to do next. And you're not, you know, dwelling on the past or reflecting on what's just happened or judging something else. 
You're just in this moment, right here, right now. You cannot feel stressed. Because when you say, you know, well, yes, of course I can, because I'm still stressed. Well, why are you stressed? Why are you feeling that stress response? Well, because I'm still thinking about that. Well, exactly. So you're not in the moment. Oh, yeah, but, but, but this might happen in the future. Yeah, exactly. It might happen in the future. But if you're in that sweet spot, and I always think of it almost like you're trying to balance on this really, really fine moment in time, almost balancing on like a razor's edge of, you know, moment. So it's neither future or past. It's right here, right now. And if you're in that moment, you're not prejudging the future. You're not post-judging the past. You're in the moment right now. It's not possible to feel stressed. The minute you feel stressed is because you're looking into the future or looking back into the past. And of course, this, if you can, it is a form of meditation, just being mindful that I'm just going to be here, right here, right now. And if you do that, that instantly reduces the physiological response, which, as we know, is the fight or flight response, in essence. Because if you're in the moment, you're neither going to fly or fight. You're just in the moment. Now, for most of us, the starting point for mindfulness, um, before we can get into things like meditation, etc., um, is just focusing in on our breathing. And this is something you can do because, of course, you're doing it anyway at any point in time in a stress response. So paying attention to your breathing is all about just pausing, waiting and just noting each inhale and exhale. Now, if you notice your in-breath, and you notice your out breath, your mind will start to wander. We call it the monkey mind. And it will start to wander because it will start to think, oh, yeah, it's all very well listening to the breathing and watching this and sensing. But you're busy. You've got to do this. Whoa, slow down. Mind, just pause, please, because I'm focusing on my breath. So it is about gently guiding your thoughts because your thoughts will come into play here. Gently guiding them back to your breath. And once you start focusing on your breath, everything comes down. Everything starts to reduce. Everything just comes inwards and just slows down. And you've now got a little bit of control. How you use that control then is going to be down to you. But you've changed the situation. So the first thing when people say to you, all oh, mindfulness isn't about going on a big yoga retreat um, over in India or anything like that. This is all about just paying attention to your breath just taking that moment and embracing it and starting the process of basically observation. So you could, once you've mastered the you know, recognition that you are breathing, you're a breathing entity, you could then start to think, okay, I want to take this to the next level now. So you could choose an object to focus on and either in your mind's eye or physically looking at it right now. I mean, look, look around you right now, just focus on an individual object and observe it in detail. Think about its shape, the color, the texture, and any feelings or thoughts it provokes. So you become immersed and engaged in that object. This is mindfulness. This is about paying attention to the moment, the thing that you're focused on, and it's taking control over that focus. And again, if you start to find your mind wandering, and it will, it does, doesn't matter how well practiced you are, at some point, your mind's going to come back and say, hey, I'm over here, want to distract you. It will happen within seconds, within minutes, within hours, depends how practiced you are at this stuff. You can then just choose to focus back on your breathing, focus back on the object. You cannot in that state, in that sense of moment, feel stressed. This is a lovely thing to experiment with. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. And once you start to do this, you can do mindful listening. You can start to tune into sounds around you. And this is really listening to sounds. This isn't just, okay, I can hear the clock ticking in the room. It's like, yeah, but what beyond that can I hear? Can I hear things outside? Can I hear things really in the far distant? Oh, I can hear that. There's a bird outside there. I can hear that. And Oh, there's, a, there's, there's some vehicle going, and that's miles away, but I can hear it. There's an aircraft going over. I can hear that too. As soon as you start to focus in on it, again, this is mindfulness. It's about being mindful. You're in the moment. You're listening and observing. You cannot feel stressed. As soon as the monkey mind starts to cut him back in, then you can feel stressed because you're in the future or you're in the past. But in that moment, then you are paying attention. 
And that can also then be if you're eating. So again, this is a lovely sort of blend here. We talked about taking a little bit of time out. Well, you could do some breathing over a lunch break. You could do some listening over a lunch break. You could also do mindful eating, paying attention to the taste, texture and smell of the food. Eat slowly, savour every bite. This is mindfulness. So it's not complicated. It is actually, when you think about it, one of the most simple things you can do. And that is, you know, reducing stress, because for lots of people, stress is overload. But of course, this isn't overload. This is simplicity in itself. In the present moment, focusing down on one individual thing, maybe then introducing another, <coughs> excuse me, another thing into the mix, seeing how that feels, seeing how that, um, how you think about that, seeing how you react to that. And instantly your heart rate is coming down. Instantly your breathing is slowing. It just does. So when you find yourself in some kind of scenario or situation that is triggering that stress response, you've got some very, very simple little things that you can do. And of course, a lot of the time you'll be thinking, well, yes, Neil, but that's all very well. But I've got so much stuff to do. You know, I'm overworking. You know, I haven't really got time for relaxation and self-care. But I will come back with the challenge. And again, this is all borne out by this research that says, well, okay, not all tasks. And you talk about the word busy. And in fact, actually, I've practiced over the last few years taking the word busy out of my um, vocabulary. I just don't use the word busy anymore because it's choice. Okay, it is choice because we've got this word prioritization. We can choose and you can say, well, Neil, yeah, but I can't because I'm told what to do. Yeah, but you're not necessarily told in what order to do it. So if you use tools like the Eisenhower box to help you decide which tasks need to be done immediately, which can be scheduled for later, which can be delegated and which can be eliminated because they literally are not priorities at all, then you start to take control. And by taking control, you've started to reduce the stress reaction. Again, all of these things are following a same sort of pattern. I, I don't necessarily myself use the Eisenhower box, but it's a very popular uh, tool to use. Um, I use the must, should, could. So I put things into three categories. The, the must category, I must do those. Don't know when, but I must do them. The should category, yeah, I should get around to doing that. Um, don't know when, but I should do it. And the coulds. Well, okay, I could do these things, but actually I'm probably never going to get to them because the other stuff's more important. And then once I've got my musts, I then categorize those down into now, soon, and later. And so then I've got my must now, must, soon, must, later. And then once I've done those things, I move on to my shoulds. But by that time, probably a few new musts have come into play. But it means I'm always working to my highest priority tasks. And that reduces the stress reaction because I can then just accept that I'm never going to get to the, the coulds because well, they really weren't high priority anyway. They were probably just a distraction. They're, pro <coughs> They're probably not going to give that much value to everybody or anybody else anyway. So why bother? You know, so effective time management can can really start to reduce that kind of overbearing, that overburdening workload that really is giving you that stress reaction unnecessarily. Um, so I'm not going to come into sort of a huge amount of time management here, but it's really important that we kind of sort of understand that we can actually also break down large tasks. You know, large projects, I think for lots of people who aren't necessarily super experienced in running big projects can feel totally overwhelming. So breaking those down into smaller manageable tasks and then tackling them one at a time using must, should, could or the Eisenhower box gives you an opportunity again to just keep control, keep an understanding of what's going on, what's the highest priority thing, how am I making progress with the stuff that really matters, rather than just, you know, chasing my tail all the time, that can really become very, very effective. And of course, there are lots of tools and apps available to help with time management, you know, everything from keeping track of appointments to setting reminders for tasks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So use the technology, use these prioritization grids, you know, just start to take back some control. And at the very least, and again, you might be listening to this thinking, yeah, it's all very well for you, Neil, you might be able to control your diary, but I am told what to do. At least it gives you the evidence to back 
back up you then having the conversation when additional stuff gets over you know sort of um, thrown over to you and it's like well hold on I'm already fully loaded how can I add some new stuff I'm now feeling stressed but you can then say okay here's my prioritization list I've done this this is kind of what I'm working on can we have a conversation please if you'd like me to you know do this additional stuff I need to know what's going to give what's going to be removed from this already full agenda that I've got um, can we have that conversation so rather than just I'm feeling stressed have the conversation with the evidence that you've got you know this stuff really allows you again it's the control thing it gives back the power so you're not feeling subservient and just the recipient of loads more stress inducing stuff you're actually in control and of course if you're balancing that with the self-care and with the mindfulness you have a huge amount of opportunity to take control over this and this also involves you know establishing and then setting and keeping to specific boundaries you know this could be your work hours this could be you know time that you are going to take for you know your breaks and we all need breaks you know it is not a cool thing to be able to power on through lunch you need to have a break around the middle of the day to get that self-nourishment either through just sitting and having a, a short quiet moment by yourself or having lunch with others, however it works for you. We all do, you know, relaxation um, in different ways. We all do, you know, refueling in different ways. If you're an extrovert, it probably will involve others. If you're an introvert, it's probably some downtime by yourself. Just a few moments can often be enough. And that kind of relaxation is really key in terms of reducing the stress response because we all need to refuel. You know, burning the midnight oil, just powering on through saying I'm more oh, I don't sleep because, you know, I've got too much stuff on is not healthy for anybody, no matter how tough you think you are. And believe me, I know this because I've been there because I've done it and it hurts and it's painful and it's not productive. And I can speak from experience there because I've tried it and I'm, I'm working now in a much more effective way using these kinds of techniques as well. Now, of course, if we're using these kinds of techniques in a more kind of leadership way, so we're actually kind of, you know, working with others. So it's not necessarily just about ourselves. It's about us being you know, good role models for others so that people can really understand we should be fostering a culture of open and honest communication. You know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is communication with ourselves, but it's also communication with others. So regular check-ins with team members, with colleagues, uh, and being transparent about any change, because, of course, change leads to uncertainty, leads to storytelling that can be, you know, not based on facts and evidence, et cetera, et cetera. So you can start to see how all this stuff starts to kind of join together. And there's some really key patterns here in terms of good practice for mitigating the stress, but also really understanding that different people respond in different ways. And this comes true as well in recognition and appreciation. You know, recognizing and appreciation employees' hard work can really increase motivation and reduce stress. Just a, a simple thank you or just public acknowledgement of something that's done well. Yeah, we all like that, don't we? You know, we all we don't need a huge, great pay rise necessarily. Often it is just a, a thanks for that. It was really good. That was really helpful, really supportive can be enough. So just think about if you're supporting others. And again, this could be with colleagues. If you see a colleague who's really struggling, feeling that stress response physiologically, you know, just by saying, you know, you did a really good job on that project could just be that little thing that just makes them pause and think, yeah, I'm actually not doing too badly, am I? And then you've changed everything. You've given them that permission to just take a moment out and just come off of that treadmill and actually then maybe be able to deal with the things that have been causing those problems so it can really work for us. And again, if we're leading others and, you know, supporting and coaching others, you know, support for professional development, you know, your leaders, your leader um, should be providing opportunities for you to develop skills and progress in your career. I mean, this can be training programs, workshops or mentoring. Again, just something out of the ordinary, something that allows you this CPD, continuing professional development. It is so, so important to reduce stress. People feeling that, you know, they're actually getting somewhere. They've got a little bit of control. They've got a bit of accountability for their own personal development. So enable 
enabling that within the structure, within the team. And if this is all about you and you're here listening to this because you're feeling that stress response, then maybe now is the time to think, okay, I know I'm feeling that in, in the kind of a work sense, but what would I like to learn? How would I like to develop myself? What more do I need and could I have to kind of build and evolve me as a person? Because what I'm doing and getting and receiving and feeling right now isn't really serving me. So this is an opportunity to kind of open up that dialogue internally, but then obviously then share with others too. And of course, we talked a little bit earlier about the healthy working environment. You know, as part of this, obviously, the physical environment into which we're living is also really, really important. So, again, this applies particularly to us who are working hybrid or remotely as well. It's not just about in the office, just ensuring we've got a comfortable, safe and healthy physical environment, places where there's good ergonomic furniture, good lighting, hopefully, you know, some, some natural daylight, uh, noise control and kind of regular just checks on how this seat is making me feel, how my posture is looking. All of this stuff comes into play. So some of this is emotional. Some of this is thoughtful. Some of this is um, going to be physical as well. And it's this blend of all of these things which goes into making up the things that you can do to help you. <coughs> Excuse me to help you um, with this kind of healthy, in, in a broad sense, healthy working environment. And of course, part of this, and I've talked quite a few times here about working with others. And of course, this is all of our responsibilities. You know, none of us work in isolation solely. Um, we've all got colleagues or clients or customers or partners um, in, in a business sense who we work with. So fostering a respectful and inclusive culture, you know, addressing all the stuff like, you know, harassment that we talked about before promptly and efficiently, you know, promoting teamwork, effective teamwork that's appropriate for the individuals in the team. That doesn't mean you all have to kind of collaborate on everything. Some people like to work alone, but making sure that it's a healthy balance for those teamwork. Uh, those team workers and then ensuring fairness in everything in essence you know the allocation of work the rewards the recognition and the value that people can then return back into that environment is all really really key in managing the kind of the collective stress if you like because as we know you get one person in a team who's exhibiting the stress response and it has this this knock-on effect to others. You know, others, if they're empaths, will be absorbing it themselves. But with others, it might just be a, a case of then they start to feel stressed because somebody's feeling stressed because then they're taking on their work, for example. So this has a really profound ability to, to really kind of give us, you know, a great kind of working situation, if you like, on all senses of the word. And, and for lots of us, we've seen this over recent years with more flexible working policies within the organization. So again, if you're part of a team that has the ability to be able to work more flexibly, um, allowing people control over when they start and finish work is a great thing, particularly helpful for employees who have got, you know, long commutes, or caregiving responsibilities. And then, of course, the kind of um, remote or hybrid working, you know, where, you know, you can literally eliminate, you know, stress of commuting and or provide a more comfortable working environment if people are able to still provide the value, still provide the outputs but do it more on their terms. So it becomes less about, I'm going to tell you when you need to complete these tasks and more about the, you do it on your terms, do it when you feel good. As long as we hit this deadline, everybody's going to be happy. So the, the old style of micromanaging where you had to have everybody in the office around you is long, long gone. The, the most effective leaders and the most effective organizations are doing this kind of work. And of course, there's things like job sharing, you know, even now unlimited leave or enhanced leave policies where, you know, some organizations are saying you can choose how much, you know, vacation time you have. As long as the work's completed, you can take as long as you like. You can work when you like. If you want to work in the middle of the night rather than daytime, if that suits the project and it suits the outcomes that we need, that's a good thing. And of course, it is all about constantly, as we've talked about, communicating and sharing best practice and how this is actually going to work, not only for the individual, but also for the team and then the broader business. And that's key. So most of this stuff you're not able to do in isolation. 
but really recognizing that stress, you know, is not an environment. It's not actually a situation or a workplace. It's just one of our personal responses to our encounters with the outside world. So situations are different for everybody in the way that we perceive them. So stress in itself is neither good nor bad in small doses. In fact, it can be really healthy, can kickstart a project. It can make you perform when you need to get your project over the line. But if it is sustained, a stress response will have a profound impact on our health and well-being and our performance and our team working and our culture and the overall performance of the business. So we do need to be mitigating a prolonged or sustained stress response by practicing some of the techniques that we talked about. So I would always begin with the breathing, always begin with I'm feeling stressed. OK, right. Take that moment. Pause. That's the first thing. It's just about pause, reflecting that this is a stress provoking moment in my world. OK, I'm now going to take charge. I'm going to focus on my breathing. And nobody in any situation can stop you from focusing on your breathing. Just think about it. Your breathing is yours. So as soon as you do that, that will in itself mitigate and thereby create a much, much deeper understanding of ourselves. So if you practice mindfulness, if you practice effective time management, if you decide I am going to take responsibility for my world and for my life, then your stress response comes under your control. And then no matter how much stuff is thrown at you, no matter how mean or nasty you perceive you know, others being towards you, you then take control over your response to it. Now, I'm not saying the world is going to be perfect from this moment onwards, but you've at least had the opportunity to take a little control over that situation. And because stress isn't that situation or that environment, it's our response suddenly our response then is under our control. So what an exciting opportunity. And I hope this has given you a few uh, little ideas, a few little techniques and um, ways that you can think about managing stress in the workplace. But if you are a person currently exhibiting stress, I'm not here to give any specific uh, medical guidance here. So, you know, talk to a registered professional uh, about this um, if you feel the need to do that. Um, but of course, you know, some of these things you can begin anyway in parallel to that. And I would certainly say the mindfulness and the taking control over the breathing techniques is a really, really great place to start your journey of managing your stress response, which is neither anybody else's nor the environment. It's actually the choice that you make in how you deal with and respond to those situations.